Good morning. I am so glad that I get the chance and the honor to dive into the word with you guys this morning, whether you're with us in person or online today. We're so glad that you decided to worship with us, and we hope that you had a safe and happy Christmas this year. Today we're going to be looking at why we need the joy of Christmas. And for some of you, when you hear the phrase joy of Christmas, you might cringe on the inside. Maybe you're like me and just a self-proclaimed Scrooge who is not the biggest fan of the holiday. Rachel is doing her best to fix that, and slowly but surely it's working. But for some of you, it may bring back bad memories of a broken childhood or This is the first Christmas that you are worshiping the coming of the Son of God without someone that you love dearly. Or maybe you just find yourself frustrated because your plans were ruined because of the coronavirus and it feels like 2020 just keeps getting worse and worse and your Christmas plans were ruined and you're frustrated. Maybe it feels like Christmas was stolen from you. These are just some of the examples of how the joy of the Christmas season can be stolen from us. And as we will see in today's passage, this is not abnormal to feel that things have been stolen. Yet, while theft is to be expected, we also have reason for celebrating the baby born in a manger. So whether you're finding it on your phone or going into the Word, um, please turn to John 10, 9 through 11 with me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So in our passage today, we see Jesus make three very distinct claims. The first claim is that he is the door. Um, If that doesn't make sense, give us some time. We'll get there. Secondly, He declares that he has come to give us life to the full, or as the ESV puts it, life abundantly. And lastly, he declares himself as the good shepherd. But these claims mean nothing, however, if we do not address the elephant in the room. Why do we need Jesus to be these things? Why do we need a door? Why do we need someone to give us life abundantly? Why do we need a good Shepherd. And it is when we understand why we need these things that we truly will experience the joy of Christmas. Our need for Jesus springs the joy of the season for us. And we all need Jesus because we all have sin. Dennis talked about this in his sermon last Sunday. the reality that we all have this issue of sin. And the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms defines sin as the following. Sin is the human condition of separation from God that arises from opposition to God's purposes. 
It may be breaking God's law, failing to do what God wills, or rebellion. It needs forgiveness by God. I know when I am sharing this concept of sin with students, particularly if the concept is new to them, I try to summarize it in this one sentence. That sin is not just the bad things we do, but a condition of the heart that causes us to be in rebellion with God and separated from God. Scripture tells us that all, that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us does it. We all fall short. Not some, not many. We all fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages or what we earn for our sinfulness is death. That death is the penalty for sin. Yet, Scripture also shows us all the way back in Genesis 3 that God promises a Savior. That right after our first parents introduced sin to the world, God promises that he will send someone to make it right. In today's passage, we see Jesus use the phrase, I am. Our high school students have been studying Exodus, and so this will be very familiar to them. But when Moses is speaking to God in the burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses as the I am. And so to the people who have been listening to this passage and to us reading today, when God, when Jesus refers to himself as I am, he is making a claim to be God incarnate. And by saying he is the door, the giver of abundant life, and the good shepherd, he is telling us why God was given to us in the flesh. So look again at verse 9 with me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So according to one commentary, the image of the door is very significant, both to the Jewish culture as well as the Greek culture of the time. Greek literature, ever since Homer, shows this idea of entering the afterlife through a gate. It is a very common characteristic of Greek literature. So Jesus' claim to be the door that if anyone enters through, they will be saved certainly would resonate with the thinking of the ancient people as well. They would understand what he is saying. Yet, this is not just a Greek literary idea. There are also references throughout the Old Testament and other Jewish literature that the gate, as this imagery, as this door to heaven existing, Jesus is using clear imagery here to show to all who are listening and to us reading today that he is the only way back to God, that he 
is reconciling the broken relationship between God and man. That it is through him and through him alone that we are saved from the penalty of sin that we mentioned earlier. But the door also shows us the mercy of God. In this time period, the sheepfold was attached to the house. So imagine, for those of you who have a pet um, and have a fenced-in yard, you let your dog or your cat or whatever other animal you have out of the house. It runs around the yard. It does its business. It might chase a couple of other animals that are in the yard. And then when it's ready, it comes back to the door of the house to come back inside. The sheep pen, the sheep fold, was very similarly constructed, except instead of entering the sheep into the house, because that would be a little crazy, um, the sheep would be able to go into the field and go find pasture. They could go graze on grass, whatever, and then they would be able to come back in through the pen and be in this little pen, the sheep fold, that was connected to the house. So the sheep could go in and out and find pasture. But furthermore, the sheep would rest in the sheepfold. They would rest in this pen. And the shepherd would lay in the entryway of it to protect the sheep from thieves or wolves or anything else that would harm the sheep. Jesus isn't simply just a barrier that can provide us passage to God, but he is God himself putting his body on the line, putting his life on the line so that we can find pasture and find rest. God in his mercy provides us a way back to himself by being the door that lets us in. The next reason we can find joy in the Christmas season is seen in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So I think the important question to ask here is, what is abundant life? And I want to start with what it is not. You hear, like if you turn on TV, you watch any commercials, look at any ad on social media or anything else, you will quickly be sold a message of, you're good. You have this power to make your life whatever you want it to be. And you might need this car, or you might need this watch, or you might need this house. But you can make your life whatever you want it to be. That we are the source of life and of a good life. But this idea is just not biblical. Jesus himself, who has declared himself to be God in the flesh, even he went to the Father in in the Garden of Gethsemane and asked the Father to remove this cup from him and then followed it up with, not my will, but your will. And so even the Son of God, when he appealed to the Father, didn't necessarily get everything he wanted when he wanted it. And praise be to God that it is that way. Tom Brady, 
famously gave an interview with 60 Minutes a few years back. Um, he had only won his third or fourth Super Bowl at the time. Unfortunately, he's won a couple more since then. And if you want to disagree with me on that, we can discuss that later. But the interviewer was talking to Tom, and he basically was saying, in a lot of ways, he was just praising how great Tom Brady was. He kept reminding him that he won all these championships, that he was probably the best quarterback in the league at that point. Some may say Peyton Manning, but again, a debate for another time. And then they started talking about his big contract and the fact that he just married a supermodel wife, and it looked like he was living the dream. Fifth-round draft pick that suddenly on top of the football world. But Tom shocked the interviewer by speaking about how empty he felt, how he didn't feel like he had accomplished everything, how he didn't feel like everything was perfect or the way it was meant to be. And the interviewer asked him point blank, what could possibly be missing? And Tom Brady's response was pretty ironic as he said, only God knows. And the irony is that very well might be what was missing because we were designed to be in a relationship with God. When you look at Adam and Eve, they were created in the image of God and they were created very good. But their relationship with one another also stemmed from their relationship with God and they were with God and he was in the garden with them and they were made to be in this harmony with God. But Tom Brady's not the only example of a famous person feeling this way when it looks like they have what our society would consider life to the full, but feeling quite the opposite. Justin Bieber in his new song, and don't worry, I cleaned it up a little bit so that I could share it with you all today, um, hits at the same sort of feelings. Justin Bieber sings... What if you had it all, but nobody to call? Then maybe you would know me. Because I've had everything, but nobody is listening. And that is just so lonely. I'm so lonely. Lonely. And the whole point of the song that he's making is that he has all these things. That from the outside, it looks like that he has it all, but he's still feeling empty. And this is because we look for eternal life. Abundant life in the wrong spot. We tell ourselves if we just had a little more money, that if we had the nice car or the nice house, that if somebody just loved us enough, if we were well liked, that if we made the grades, that if we got that promotion, that our life would be so much better. But the reality is, when we try to fill our life with those things, when we look to these things for eternal life, it does not work. Eternal life only truly happens when it is in the correct, when we are searching for it in the correct source. Because the reality is Jesus is not promising us material satisfaction or that he will magically make it better like he's some sort of genie. 
He is the source of life to the full. An abundant life is the eternal life that God sent us through the gift of Jesus. This is the joy of Christmas worth celebrating. The classic Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sings, echoes this truth beautifully with the line, Born so man may no uh, born so man no more may die. To have something in abundance, to have life to the full, is for it to be sufficient. It doesn't run out. We only can truly experience this life to the full, this abundant life, when we look to why we were created to live. And that is in relationship with the Good Shepherd. And this leads us to Jesus' final claim about himself, that he is the good shepherd. Looking at verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. There you go. I threw in an extra verse for you. Wasn't the plan, but we're going to roll with it. Um, But this is the imagery. This imagery of the shepherd would be very relatable to the Palestinian culture of this time. As the shepherd, as verse 12 mentions, is a hired hand. This was a popular occupation for the region at this time. But the concept of a good shepherd or a divine shepherd was also well known, particularly to the Jewish people as it is seen throughout the Old Testament, most famously in Psalm 23, but the prophets speak to it as well. And this verse told those listening to the time and tells us today quite clearly again that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God in flesh, that he is God incarnate between the I am statement and this imagery of a divine shepherd of a divine shepherd but not only is Jesus God in the flesh but he is saying that he is going to lay his life down for his sheep multiple commentaries pointed out that this language of voluntarily laying one's life down was not a normal thing to be seen throughout the scriptures that this was a newer that this was different language than was previously seen but this unique language makes sense if you think about that a shepherd is a popular occupation but it's just that it was an occupation unlike the wickedness of a thief or robber mentioned in the previous verse a hired hand will run away when under threat. Like, I know if I was being paid to watch some sheep, if Dennis was paying me to watch his sheep and I was being attacked by a wolf, I would try to do the right thing and return your money to you and then run away very quick because I know I don't want to be chased by a wolf and I certainly don't want to be chased by a wolf just to protect a sheep. Yet, this is not completely unheard of. David, who was first a shepherd before becoming a king, famously freed 
lying from the wolf, or freed a sheep from the mouth of a lion. David was a good shepherd. Yet there's a beautiful paradox here. Because while David was simply a good shepherd, Jesus, the shepherd king, who is the greater David and from the line of David, does not simply save some sheep from harm, but the good shepherd becomes the sheep and lays his wife down willingly as a ransom for many. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep so that the sheep can have life abundantly, that they can have a way back to God and find rest and find pasture with him. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was born to save sinners like you and like me. When we understand our need for Jesus, we understand the true joy of Christmas. But maybe you're sitting there thinking, all right, Charlie, this sounds good. This sounds nice and all. But I do the best I can. I try to be as good of a person as possible. When I see the Salvation Army kettles every Christmas, I put some money in as long as I have some spare change. Um... When they passed the plate before COVID was a thing, and that was something we did. I always put my money in, but I even still make sure that I can put, that I give. Whenever I see a neighbor in need, I help. Aren't I doing enough? That I try to be a good person. And I want to share two stories with you that hopefully will help make this reality make sense, because the answer is no. So I might lose most of you on this one. I promise the second story might make a little more sense to the Americans, but I was watching soccer a couple years ago, and I know I'm in the minority on that one, but I was watching Manchester City play Tottenham, and Manchester City needed one goal to go to the championship game, and they were running out of time to do it, but they were playing some of the best soccer I've ever seen. There's a reason it's called a beautiful game. They were just stringing pass after pass. They were carving Tottenham Hotspur wide open. And the ball eventually falls to one of their star players, and he puts it in the back of the net. And this was before COVID, so the place was packed, and you see everyone jumping on, on top of each other, breaking every social distancing thing that would, could have possibly existed. The crowd was going absolutely crazy. But the ref called off the goal. When they looked at the replay, they realized one of the passes was offside. And in soccer, if you're past the last defender before the ball's kicked, it's a foul, and the ball is turned over to the other team. And so they strung 20 or more good passes together, but the one pass caused the goal to be disallowed. But if you're not tracking with soccer, let's go to America's favorite pastime, baseball. Now, if anybody saw this one live, I want to talk to you after because this happened in the 1920s, and I think that would just be a really fun conversation to have and a minor medical miracle at this point. But in the World Series in the championship game, Washington had their worst batter up at the plate. 
And so again, this was in that time before when you could have a crowd and the crowd was not feeling too happy. They were feeling pretty nervous. Yet, to their surprise, the batter ends up cranking the ball into the outfield and it lands fair. And so he's running, he's running for his life. He goes to, he hits second base. He hits third base. He's being waved home. And he gets there, and he's safe. And the crowd's going wild. But then the umpire calls him out. And then the crowd was not so pleased. They were yelling things. And apparently, according to the story, some things were even thrown onto the field in protest. But the umpire announces to the crowd and to the players that the base runner missed first base. So while he hit the ball perfectly and he touched all the bases, when he was running by first, he stepped over it. He didn't touch it. It was a minor thing, but it cost him the game. And that's what what sin is like for us. We can't get it mostly right. We all at one point or another stray off sides or miss the base and the points are taken off the board and we come up short. St. Augustine, therefore, puts the meat, why we need Christmas into just such clear terms as he, because he said, Wake up, O human being, for it was for you that God was made man. Rise up and realize that it was all for you. And so if you've been trying to do it on your own, and you realize your need for a Savior, I hope that you put your faith in Christ today and that you experience the true joy of this holiday season. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, knows his sheep, and he calls them by name. And if you're hearing him call your name for the first time, I encourage you to speak to the elders or pastors here at Grace Covenant. Um... But if you've heard that call, whether it's for the first time or you heard that call long ago, our need for the gospel, our need for Christmas still remains true to this day. And I want to leave you with this invitation from the song that we sang earlier in the service. So come, though you have nothing. Come, he is the offering. Come, know that you're not alone. Come, see what God has done. Christ is born. Christ is born. Christ is born for you.